You are listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Before becoming a pastor, I worked as a professional educator teaching high schoolers and middle schoolers Spanish. It was a lot of fun. And over those nine years of teaching, uh, I discovered that one of the most useful tools at my disposal if I really wanted to help my students get from point A to point B or whatever, the most useful tool at my disposal was the infamous pop quiz. Anybody love pop quizzes? Of course, these pop quizzes were not the most popular amongst my students, uh, but, but here's why I found them like, like so invaluably helpful. is because pop quizzes are not primarily for the teacher to find out what the students don't know but to help the students find out what it is that the students don't know. Um, Not so much for assessment as for awareness, not to assign a grade, but to hopefully inspire growth. Um, The the results of a pop quiz would let me as the teacher know um, what subject matter I might need to focus on for a student or for a class, But, but better than that, And at least for the most uh, uh, intentional of students, it let them know where their gaps were. It let them know what it was that they needed to focus on. Now, I've I've heard it said that you can take the teacher out of the classroom, um, but you can never take the classroom out of the teacher. And uh, I think this is true. I believe it. As a pastor, I'm still a teacher, right? This is still like dominantly what I do, and not even just in preaching, but I love to take what I've learned and teach and pass it on to other people. I'm still a teacher, it's just in a different context. So if, if, would you guys indulge me for a moment and allow me to give you a pop quiz? Can we do this? You ready? Again, this is, this is for your edification, not me. Um, there's not a grade assigned to it. And, and this is a pop quiz about the relationship between faith and healing. We're we're a church that very much believes that God still heals today, but but how exactly does faith play into that? It's a question we're going to explore this morning. So so here's the question for your pop quiz, right? It's going to be multiple choice, right? Love multiple choice. There you go. When in doubt, you just always choose C, right? The question is this, who needs to have faith in order for healing to occur? Who needs to have faith in order for healing to occur? Is it A, the suffering person, right? That the person dealing with whatever um, illness or injury or whatever it is that they're suffering from, do they need to have faith that God can step in and bring some miraculous healing in my life? Um, Is it B, the praying person, the, the person praying for the person that's suffering? Does this person need to have some measure of faith and trusting and believing in God that, that whatever the need is can be miraculously met? All right, oh, I already see some heads nodding, okay. Or is it C, is it C, the surrounding community? Does, do we need to have an environment of surrounding folks that really have kind of elevated the level of faith in the room? Do we need to find ourselves in some kind of context where, where, where maybe there's some power and strength in numbers? Um, or is it D, all of the above? Right? Don't you love that one? You're like, man. Right? Is it D, all of the above? We've got to have the person needs to have faith. Whoever's praying for them needs to have faith. There needs to be some other surrounding folks that also are kind of agreeing with that person in prayer. Um, 
Or I know some of you guys feel super uncomfortable right now. Like, so, or is it E, something else, this feels like a trick question. <laughs> if you were already hoping that there was E because of that reason, then you're like a couple steps ahead of me. Good job. Now, here's what I want to say. I, it cannot just be A, right? It cannot just be A. Otherwise, we will end up heaping guilt on someone who is already suffering, as if their continued condition is their own fault. If we tell someone, I don't know that there's a whole lot of things you could do to get yourself kicked out of this church. This might be one of them. I, if, if you're praying for someone that's not healed, this is the associate pastor word. That's not the final word. If, you're, if we're praying for someone who is not healed and you tell them that it's because of their lack of faith, you are doing more harm than good. That is not the heart of the Father. So it can't just be A. Um, it also cannot just be B. If it's only B, that the praying person has to have faith, then, then, then we appear successful, right? And when we appear successful, we make ourselves into superheroes while simultaneously making other people feel like lesser Christians. Well, when I prayed for someone, they didn't get healed, and when that person did, so I guess, you know, woe is me. It cannot just be B. Um, I would also say it cannot just be C. C is important, I guess, like a surrounding community that has faith, that's good. But it can't just be C, otherwise we'll be tempted to hype up the environment. We'll be tempted to manipulate some sort of atmosphere of emotionalized pseudo-faith. And this is not uncommon, right? We as a vineyard, man, we've got very Pentecostal roots. We're very charismatic in some ways. And so even in vineyard churches, we can easily fall prey to hyping things up in some sort of way as if that might induce more power from God. And so I guess if it can't be A, B, C, um, just those, then it also can't be D, right? Because that's just unrealistic, (laughs) right? If we're going to believe that God heals, then he has to heal in reality. And having all of those things in play just to have a miracle, I just don't see it happening. So there must be something else. And what I'll say is this. As long as faith is present in someone, in some measure, the miracles are possible. All throughout scripture, whenever healing occurs or anything miraculous, faith is always present in someone, in some measure, expressed in some way, but it is not always the same. Faith is not a recipe for healing, but it's always an ingredient. It's important. Faith is not a recipe for healing, but it is always an ingredient. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up with me. We're going to be in Luke chapter 7. So many great stories of healing in the Bible, um, particularly in the Gospels. Today, we're going to read this story. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There, a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. 
For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I told this one, go, and he goes. I told that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Let's pray for a moment. Jesus, we stand kind of in awe of you this morning. You who had and still have this amazing power to just only speak a word to someone who is not even present in the room with you and are healed. We stand in in honor of your power. We stand in gratitude of your compassion and your love. And we pray today that you would open up the eyes and ears of our hearts. Help us to understand you more through your scriptures. Help us to see ourselves more clearly and how it is that you might be inviting us to partner with you in this world. Spirit of God, speak this morning. Even as we engage in this series, empowered about you, Holy Spirit, would you empower these words? I pray that your voice would speak much more loudly than my own today. Amen. Now, real quickly, let's relate this scene to our pop quiz. All right? And just consider for a moment, like, who had faith here? Uh, We get no indication that it was, A, the suffering person. Right? Perhaps, Perhaps this dying servant was religious in some way. Maybe he had heard of Jesus even and was just simply too sick to get up and go ask himself. But it seems as though the request didn't even originate from his desires. It came from his boss, right? So probably not A. Uh, We can perhaps get a hint that it was C, the surrounding community. It's possible that the Jewish leaders who first came, right, on behalf of the Roman centurion, it's possible that they had some measure of faith. They certainly didn't come this time to accuse Jesus, as they often did. They didn't come to try to get into some kind of argument with him, as they often did, but they came to deliver this request on behalf of their friend. You know, but really, as the text reads, it seems as though they're not motivated so much by faith in Jesus as they are motivated by indebtedness to the centurion, right, who bankrolled their church being built and all of that. So maybe. Um, That automatically, I think, I think it rules out D. I don't think it's all of the above. And what's interesting, in Scripture, we don't always get things very clearly spelled out in any way. But in this story, Jesus makes it crystal clear that the answer is B, the person praying. The one making this request, this, this centurion, had faith. And I don't want us to miss just how extraordinary this was for this to occur. Right? At this time, Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire, right? who did what they did very well. And the backbone of Roman rule and order in local contexts was the Roman centurion, who would be over a particular town or city or whatever and had like a command of 100 soldiers underneath him to make sure that things were kept in order by force if necessary. Their presence all around constantly was a reminder to stay in line. And so it's interesting, like, so this guy, it's interesting, he was not only a Gentile, but, but he was actively working for the oppressive government that kept the Jewish people subjugated. 
not exactly the highest candidate to be called like faithful in any kind of way. Yet Jesus, upon hearing this guy's response, the second go around through the second delegation of friends, uses the phrase great faith. And this is the only time in the Gospels, it's the only time in the Gospels, and Jesus talks a fair amount about faith, but this is the only time that he uses that word to describe someone's faith. Most of the time, let's be honest, most of the time when Jesus describes someone's faith, it's a little bit diminutive or critical, right? He says things like, oh, ye of little faith, right? Like we get all of those responses to the disciples and things like that. But not this guy. This man's faith caught Jesus by surprise. Luke says it amazed him. It, it, it made his jaw drop. And so the question for us is how do we know if we have real faith? How do we know if we have the kind of faith that just might amaze Jesus? How do we know if we have faith that surprises him or makes his jaw drop or that Jesus might possibly call great? Because whether we find ourselves as the suffering person, we find ourselves as the praying person, if we find ourselves as just a part of the surrounding community, and we will all be part of one of those at some point in time, how might, how might you or I simply do our part in contributing some little bit of faith into the mixture? How can you and I know if we're adding some little bit of faith into the recipe? Uh, I want to give you guys three suggestions from this story. And the first is this. I know if I have real faith, if I expect a yes, but can still hear a no. And this might feel like a little bit of hard news right out the gate. It gets mostly better. I know I have faith if I expect a yes, but can still hear a no. This centurion, I think he understands that he is in no position to tell Jesus what to do. Now, he, he actually is in a position to tell a lot of Jews what to do. It's his job. This is how he pays the bills. This is how he feeds his kids, by telling Jews what to do. But in this case, for healing, he knows that he can only make a request. A request that has a very high likelihood of being rejected, of getting a no. Because seriously, like, what good reason would Jesus have to say yes to this man? So, so the centurion sends Jews on his behalf because perhaps he himself is not really much of a man of faith at all. He doesn't really have some kind of relationship with God the way that the Jews at least understand it. So he sends the Jews to ask Jesus, I think, because he's, to ask the man because he's, he's hedging his bets a little bit. I think he's hoping that maybe if they, as fellow faithful Jews, make the ask, the response is more likely to be yes than if I, as a godless pagan working for the oppressive Roman government, make the ask, right? Any of you guys that have siblings, you know how this works. <laughs> One of them is more likely to get a yes, so that person goes and asks for extra screen time or whatever you need, right? He knows that there's a very real possibility that the answer could be no. 
All right, healing story number one. Early on in our marriage, um, Angela's wonderful Aunt Diane was diagnosed with cancer. And, and most of you in the room did not know Diane. She was just an amazing person. She was an amazing human being. She was a teacher. Um, but she, more than, she just had this amazing faith. She had been through so many struggles and trials in her life. Always continued to follow Jesus with like the utmost confidence. You know, one of those people that like, no matter what's happening, it seems like it just doesn't shake. I mean, maybe Bob or Sue had like seen her shake like in private or something. It just, she was always just trusting the Lord. She loved to worship. She loved to sing. She loved to pray. And, and so we all joined with her and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. She had friends, teacher friends from school who were praying for her. She had folks at Vineyard Community Church who were praying for her. Um, she had folks in the Alleluia community praying for her. Like literally hundreds of people. This situation was answer D, all of the above. She had just tremendous unwavering faith until the very end, right? She had multiple people praying for her all the time with so much faith, this surrounding cloud of witnesses praying for her, and yet we watched her pass. We expected a no, but we were able to hear a yes. And it's, the truth is, like, it's, it's all too easy for us to become frustrated or bitter or cynical when we pray and God doesn't do what we've asked him to do. That's really tough. And in those kind of situations, when you're watching someone suffer that way, it's, you don't just bounce back from it, right? It's hard to just pretend like it's not affecting you in some very real ways. But real faith says, I want God to do it in this way, but I trust God to do what he wants in his own way. Consider this curious aspect of the story of the centurion. Like, why, why does this man ask Jesus to come and then turn around and tell Jesus that he doesn't have to come? Somewhere, somewhere in the middle there, his mindset changed. And I just wonder, I think maybe it's because in this interim between the first and second set of delegates that he sends to Jesus, he realizes, look, Jesus, I know what I've asked you to do, but you don't have to do it in the way that I've asked you to do it. I know I've asked you to come in person and be present. Do it in your own way. You don't have to do it the way that I've asked you to do it. He resolves to just trust Jesus and let Jesus handle it however he will, and Jesus calls this great faith. You know that you have real faith when you can say, God, you don't have to do it my way. Just get done what you need to get done however you want to do it. We have to nurture a faith that continually accepts suffering as well as healing as we continue to trust Jesus. So I know that I have real faith when I expect a yes but can still hear a no. I also know that I have real faith when I confess my unworthiness but still ask with boldness. Real faith knows its unworthiness but still boldly asks. The centurion, again, in the second delegate that he sends, confesses he wasn't worthy, not even worthy to have Jesus come into his house, not even worthy to come to Jesus himself. Like, we should just stay away from each other, Jesus. 
And it's interesting that in contrast, right, the Jewish elders tried to convince Jesus to come based on the centurion's worthiness, right? He bankrolled our church building. Give the guy what he's asking for. It seems that in the middle here somewhere, the centurion had this aha moment, right? Like, oh gosh, what did I just do? Who do I think I am inviting this great and powerful rabbi into my home? Like, like how presumptuous am I? So his second group of friends, right, like they kind of set the record straight for him. It's interesting to note that, that when this first delegate of Jewish elders arrive, they present Jesus with the centurion's resume. And like he agrees to go with him, but he makes no mention of faith at that point. It's like Jesus just intrigued enough to make a little detour. You know, like, oh, that's curious. All right, I'll bite. Let's go. But he makes no mention of faith at all until he hears, I'm not worthy. And then suddenly it's like Jesus is listening even more closely. You know, much of, much of our prayers, to be honest with you, and gosh, I have probably pray, prayed more prayers like this than not in my lifetime, but we pray so many prayers like the Jewish elders, like, God, Sarah is such a faithful servant of yours. Would, would you please heal her? Right? Or, God, Billy, he gives so faithfully to the church, and, and he teaches in kids' church all the time, and he shows up and he serves in the food pantry, and he's just such a, he's such a nice guy to all of his coworkers, and I know they're a bunch of jerks. Like, would you just answer his prayer and, like, break in with a miracle? right? Or God, this family, right? They have such like a long history of, of supporting this church and long history of pastors in their church. And they all do so much ministry like around the world. And they're going through this suffering time. God, would you just miraculously provide for them in some kind of way? But here's the truth. Jesus is not at all impressed by religious resumes. That's a bummer. Can I just say that? Like I said these words out loud and like I felt it in my heart. Like my stomach sunk a little bit. He is not impressed by religious resumes. He, impre- he is impressed by humble faith. He isn't amazed by the glowing review that the Jewish elders tell him. He is amazed at the humble and honest report that the second group of friends give. That's when he's amazed. Too often we come to God in prayer as if it's this quid pro quo right? I've given a bunch, so I should get a bunch. I read my Bible. I go to church. Man, half these people only go to church half the time. I go three times a month, you know? (laughs) I pray. I serve in storehouse, right? I serve in the giving farm, and I pick veggies, and then I go give them out at at the giving farm, I serve in the kids' ministry. I I lead on the worship team. I show up and work at the Compassion House so we can turn that over for the next family. I do so many things for you, God. Why can't you do this one thing for me? I've prayed that prayer a bunch too. Like, if if I'm honest, like, does that sting a little bit? If it stings a little bit, you're you're at least in my company. I don't know if that's good company. I almost said you're in good company. That's, that's probably one of the things that me and Angela both have struggled with most in our life. 
at least in terms of prayer, it's been the most challenging thing to praying prayers with our faith. Um, so healing story number two. This one has a little bit more of a positive ending. Um, around the same time that we were watching Auntie Di suffer from cancer, um, Angela started having like really painful like internal issues. And we like debilitating, right? Like fetal position, just curled up on the couch, just really excruciating pain. And we had horrible insurance at the time, which we still have horrible insurance probably, but like it was one of these times where we were going, we were having to pay like thousands of dollars for a bunch of like uncomfortable invasive procedures at the end of which the doctors just say, you know, we, we think we know what you have. Um, it's called IBS, which maybe this is not a like medically accurate way to respond, but, but whenever they say IBS, it's just like saying, hey, you have stomach problems and we don't really know what they are and we don't really know what to do about them, right? <laughs> maybe that's not true. All the feedback we got that's felt like, like we're just gonna give it a name, but man, I don't know. We could do more procedures. We're like, no thanks. So in this time period, I was just like, okay, Ange, I'm just, I'm gonna pray for you every single day that you'll be healed. I'm just, it's just a simple prayer. And she's like, whatever, you know. She gave me permission to say this, by the way. She's like, she was like, you know, I believed in prayer. I believed in prayer, healing prayer, like theoretically at the time, but going through it all, I was just, I don't know, right? So not doubting and not skeptical, but just kind of middle of the road. So whatever. So um, thus began the tradition of me bringing her coffee first thing every morning. I still do it. I don't pray for her every day anymore. But I come in and I lay my hand on her stomach and I would just say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Right? Like just simple prayers. I probably prayed this hundreds of times in a row. Nothing happening. Just more pain, more bills, more diagnoses of the same thing they can't fix. Right? She kept doing it. Um, so then we were at Vineyard Community Church at the time before we church planted, and um, a group of women went to a women's conference um, at which the main speaker was Christy Wimber, who's the daughter-in-law of infamous John Wimber. And um, so she goes to this thing with a handful of ladies from the church. First night, there's worship going on, and then Christy Wimber gets up to speak and interrupts her own talk by just saying, hey guys, I know we normally save this for the end, but I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to show up and do some healing now, so we're just gonna do that now and then I'll talk later. We'll just kind of flip-flop it, right? And then proceeds to like describe Angela's condition like to the T, and Angela's like, oh my gosh, again, you know? She's like, my husband's been praying faithfully for like a year or more, like it's whatever. But it's so specific that she's like, oh, whatever, I'll be a good team player, right? And um, so she kind of raises her hand, yeah, that's me. And, you know, other words are going on, other prayers happening around the room. And so a group of women gather around and start praying for Angela. And she's like, we'll just, I'll just endure it, you know. And then she starts feeling her, her stomach begin to grow warm. And this warmth just begins to expand and spread and grow. And she was healed. It's kind of amazing. Now, what's interesting, you can clap, yay, Jesus. Um, the interesting thing here. Like, I can say honestly, that entire time that I was praying at least, I was just praying out of obedience. I felt no extreme level of faith whatsoever. Angela still chalks it up to that. I, I never prayed at this time, God, you owe us, right? We're trying to go be church planters. You, you owe us this. You should give us this because we've done this and sacrificed these things to try to say yes to you and follow you into your kingdom. Didn't do that. 
I think it was mostly C, the surrounding community, that something just happened in that room. And she could feel it too, right? There's this level of faith that just grew in the room. And like, if you've ever been in a room like that, sometimes healings just spontaneously happen with no one even like praying over that person, right? So maybe it was a little bit of B. It was definitely C. But here's the thing, is that anything we ask of God is always greater than we deserve. If I did anything right in that time period, I, I wasn't coming to him saying, God, I deserve this. Angela deserves this. You should do it. So I know that I have real faith when I expect a yes, but can still hear a no. I know I have real faith when I confess my unworthiness, but still ask with boldness. And three, I can trust in the authority of God's son. And this gets at the crux of what I think this story is really meaning to communicate, that we know we have real faith when we trust in the authority of God's son. The real heart of the centurion's faith-filled response was in regard to his understanding of how authority works. How does authority work? Now, most of us, if we're honest, most of us don't live in a world with real, like, hardcore, like, authority, right? Those of you guys who are our current military or former military, I think you have a leg up on all of this, right? Because here's a military man saying, I know how authority works, right? Someone at the top says, do this. And the next people say, do this. And the next people say, do this. And people do it, right? Most of our jobs don't necessarily work that way in such an extreme fashion. But this centurion, that was his life. And he saw the effectiveness of it. So I know I have real faith when I can trust just in the authority of Jesus and nothing else. That if Jesus says something, then that's the final word. I don't trust in my own understanding of God's will. Right? Maybe, maybe his no is the best answer that I wouldn't even think to ask for. Right? I don't trust in my own goodness or my own worthiness. My religious resume isn't going to get me any further down the road. I don't trust in a formula. I, guys, I, I, as much as I love the five-step vineyard prayer model, I think it's helpful, right? I, I believe in models, but I don't believe in magic. So, like, it's just, it's helpful. And if it's helpful, it is. And if it's not, it's not, then that's fine. I don't trust in a formula. I only trust in the authority of Jesus that whatever he commands happens. Whatever he says goes that his mere word has all the authority and power that is needed because he is the incarnate word of God who speaks the contemporary word of God into the moment. This is why it's powerful when John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the incarnate word of God, so whatever he speaks is final. This authority structure is powerful. It's important. Healing story number three. Um, fast forward a handful of years, we're in North Carolina church planting. Um, I'm still bivocational at the time. I'm not teaching anymore, but I'm now working a job that Angela used to work as an associate assistant property manager for like a big building downtown in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, right down on Franklin Street. And um, we did church on a Sunday, and, and I mean, I, I know all you guys who work like, like regular 
rhythm jobs, like Mondays always feel bad. Mondays tend to be especially difficult for pastors, right? It's just weird. There's spiritual components to it, all of this kind of stuff. So I show up to this other job on a Monday morning, and I don't remember at all. Like Stuff had happened the day before, and things went good, and things went bad, and I'm feeling real grumpy about everything, and I go to work on a Monday morning, and I'm just rah, 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 and I'm just like having a big old pity party down in like this basement office that I work in with no windows, and, and I'm just like, rah, 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 I'm going to quit everything, and it's all horrible, and God, what are you doing? And this is probably one of those times where I'm like, hey, I, we're, we deserve more than this, you know? or whatever. And suddenly, this probably took me like an hour to realize this. Maybe some of you guys are sharper than me. Took me like an hour and I finally realized, oh, wait a minute. I think this is the devil. (laughs) Why do I feel like this? Why am I having all these thoughts? Like, I think this is Satan. I think this is the liar. I think this is the accuser speaking all this junk into my brain. Well, then I got really angry. I got so angry, I started saying some choice words out loud. And I was just like... Forget this. Uh Uh-uh. I'm not having this. So I like shut my computer down and I go storming up to Franklin Street. And like, it's sort of like one of those movies, you know, you see some like movie where it's like some New York dude and like he has some like, like argument with his grandma or something in their apartment and he storms out in the street just like looking to get into a fight. That was me. And I'm out on Franklin Street and it's just busy and there's people everywhere and there's cars and shoppers and UNC flags or whatever. And I'm just like, who? All right. We're going to do something about this. And I spot like this young couple just standing. They're just standing there. They didn't ask for anything. I'm just like, I'm going to freaking pray for you. <laughs> and so I'm so angry. I'm just out for vengeance. It was true. I was like, okay, you said the gates of hell will not prevail. Like I'm going. And so I just walk up to them. I'm sure I'm like, hey, good morning. My name's Roger. And this might be a really weird question. Um, but is there anything I could pray for for you? I believe that God heals and stuff. Like, I would just love to pray for you. The girl begins to tell me this story. So I guess I had composed myself. She tells me this story about being a young child and, and, and receiving some hearing damage where in both of her ears, and one in particular, she had like 80% hearing loss in one of her ears that she had just never recovered. I'm like, yes. This is the only time this has ever happened to me, guys. I should just, just clarity here. Only time I've ever prayed like this and it's happened this way. I'm like, great. Like, can I pray for that? Jesus healed deaf people all the time. She's like, whatever. (laughs) So I like put my hands on her and they're just kind of looking around like, this is weird. And it's simple, right? Just like they teach us in the vineyard, come Holy Spirit, you know, ears be open in the name of Jesus. I'm praying. Right as I pray, like maybe like 30 seconds of a prayer, a city bus pulls up across the street and does the squeaky city bus thing with the brakes, you know? It's like, And her boyfriend goes, stop praying. And he erupts. He's like, did you hear that? And she opens her eyes or something. She's like, oh, what? You mean the bus breaks across the street? Yeah, I heard that. And he looks at me and he's like, white. He's like, she never hears that. I'm like, yes. Can we pray some more? (laughs) It was kind of amazing. Now, again, I think I was more motivated by anger and vengeance than anything at the time. But what I understood in the moment was that some power was coming against me, but that I had the authority of Jesus on my side that was stronger. Right? It's never happened since. Maybe I should get angry more often. So faith can feel like a lot of things. Faith can feel a lot of different ways. 
But if we expect a yes and can hear a no, if we can confess our unworthiness and still boldly ask for something, and and if we can trust in the authority of Jesus and nothing else, then we've got a shot at throwing a little bit of faith into the mix. Let me invite you guys to do something really short as we wrap up. Why don't you stand with me? And here's just a question for you to ponder. If it helps you to close your eyes, close your eyes. What is the one healing word that you want to ask Jesus to speak into your life today? Just note what rises up in you. Just note, like, what's the first thing? And it might actually be physical healing. It might be some other kind of wholeness or something, something relational. Perhaps it's mental or emotional. Perhaps it's financial. Perhaps there's just logistics in your life going crazy that you can't seem to get a hold of. Whatever. What one word of healing do you want to ask Jesus to speak into your life today? And can you ask him for that right now? If you're bold enough, you can even just speak it out loud where you are, but you could just say healing. You could say reconciliation. You could just say provision. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe you need his healing word of peace or love. Maybe you need hope. Jesus, would you hear these cries from our heart this morning? Jesus, we trust in your authority and nothing else.